Thank you for tuning into Raksha Radio. This is Mangala Kanesan, Outreach Coordinator at Raksha Inc. We are here today with Anjali Guntur, Aparna Bhattacharya, Gunita Singh, and Dr. Hiral Patel. We are all staff members at Raksha, and today's podcast is going to be a little different. We are going to jump right into a conversation here at the Raksha lunch table about the Neha Rastogi case, which some of you may have heard of. She actually made a very powerful statement. So if you get a chance, you should listen to her statement. And she also talks about why it's been difficult for her to leave. Because she talks about the abuse, she talks about having a child and fearing for her child's life and her life. She Um, also talked about how she'd never seen anybody who'd been divorced, right? So she, and that was such a a difficult thing. She was, she, she was talking about how she had traditional values, even though she believed in working and all this other stuff, but she really was tying on to the, the romantic part of her culture. So I think part of it was just also like what we've been socialized to believe about marriage, what we've been socialized to believe about, you know, getting a divorce and and how, like, if you don't see it, that it's seen as a negative. Mm-hmm. And so she's trying to hold on to so much of her belief system. And that's a hard thing to let go of. I just think it's like really sad that like she has to defend anything like staying or not staying or anything like that. And I think it's just because like we as human beings want control and we feel like the only way that we could have gotten control in this situation is if you took yourself out of an abusive situation and it puts the victim in this like horrible place of now defend yourself Mm -hmm. not only did you have to defend yourself in your marriage now (coughs) defend yourself to the whole world Mm -hmm. why did you stay you know it's, it's just it's so sad and it's so hard and all of our clients talk about yeah how terrible that is yeah, I just thought that this particular case, I know, I mean, there are a lot of people as we speak right now that are suffering in silence, but I think this case is getting so much uh, exposure. I think mainly because we all get to hear what the abuser is saying and doing Yeah. because of those recordings. So there is proof. So it's not like yelling yeah. and screaming. It's a very even toned And that's what disturbed me, like his tone, right? Yeah. It's not like the... I mean, it's not like uh, he was angry or he had outbursts or anything. He's like so... He's talking to her in one point like, like as if he's a teacher. Soft. Did he say anything after he was arrested? Did he explain himself? No, I don't think that... I mean, or it's not been... Yeah, it's not been recorded. I don't know what he said in his... Uh, and that's the thing. Like, no one's asking him what's... You know, like, why did you abuse? Why did no, you... No, no, no. This is getting attention. Was is that what he was trying to do was make his family stronger. So his whole thing is that he's trying to get her to not react and to behave better. And this is part of his justification yeah. in, like, this is how he makes his family stronger and better. And that's part of the reasoning that he's using for how he treats her that way. Mm-hmm. And I think the other piece is, like, I don't think most people know how the cycle of violence works. Because I was reading something today that said he was arrested and he called and he was... When he, after he was arrested the first time, he called and was like, I love you, I'm so sorry, and she bailed him out because she couldn't, she couldn't do it, and he sounded so depleted. Yeah. Right, and he was very upset about how this would impact his work, and so she took him back, she bailed him out, and he went to this program, mm-hmm. and, you know, he, used, he found more ways to manipulate. So he would use what he learned in the batter's intervention or anger management classes to be like, oh, be sure not to 
um, be sure not to, these are my triggers, don't trigger me kind of thing. As opposed to him being aware and having his own self-awareness of, like, what his triggers are and addressing it. He would put that responsibility on her. But I think that the, the, this whole anger management thing anyway is just so frustrating and annoying because it's not an anger problem, you mm-hmm. know? Like, and it right. just ends up being like, oh, send the batterer to the anger management situation and they'll just get fixed because... They just need a better way to deal with their anger. And it's not that. It's about power and control. And it has nothing to do with anger. A couple of you have talked so far about the cycle of violence or the cycle of abuse. What exactly is that? And how do you recognize it? So I think there's many ways to talk about the cycle of violence, unless one of y'all want to do it. And, and I think there's a couple things to keep in mind about the cycle of violence. Is that while it's one form of violence... And one way that it can play out, it doesn't play out the same way for everybody. Mm -hmm. We'll just say for this conversation, it starts with tension building. and Where everything is seemingly okay. Yes, where things are okay. With tension building phase, there's nothing serious that's happening. The person who's being abused is usually walking on eggshells and just stay on a safe ground. And then what happens is the tension builds to the point where it cannot be contained anymore for the abuser and the abuser flips and the act of violence happens act of abuse happens whether it be sexual physical emotional any of it and then after the abuse has happened then happens the honeymoon phase and honeymoon phase is where the abuser says abuser says that he feels guilty for hitting her or will say make comments like you made me do it if only you didn't provoke me if only you did this right or if only you could you know help yourself not do this stuff then i could you know i wouldn't have to hate you but i still i really love you i want to be with you um and just please forgive me mm-hmm. i'm sorry i won't do it again oh this won't happen again and what that does is like that kind of creates this um expectations for the person who's being abused that maybe you know he will change or she will change and this will not happen again mm-hmm. and uh, you know my problems will be fixed again he does love me he does this because he has problems with anger or he does this because i can't do this right so that's like mentally breaking the person down and t- tearing up their self-esteem so it's easier to manipulate this person it's easier to blame your uh, abu- uh for abuser it's easier to blame the victim on uh, ab- for being her his violent behaviors or her violent behaviors i think like the the thing that always like comes up for me as well is just um you know also like the the cycle of offending that happens for the abuser where they're not taking care of themselves in all these different aspects of their life and then they end up being abusive to um you know the people in their life who don't have a lot of power already Mm -hmm. and so then they start acting out against them and like after their offensive behavior whatever that is whether it's rape or you know physical abuse or verbal abuse or whatever they go right into this um um you know like this transitory guilt of i'm really sorry like you know you were talking about with the cycle of violence and then going into pushing guilt away which almost inevitably ends up being this is all your fault you made me do this this is you know if you hadn't done this then this wouldn't have happened and you know as human beings we want to have power in our lives and so we end up like you know just as human beings end up blaming ourselves as well because if i can control it if i can do this and then the abuse will not happen then i feel better 
But if I know that there's nothing that I can do to make the abuse not happen, that makes me feel feel even more powerless. And so and helpless. Yes. And that's why we end up blaming ourselves so often about like why this happened to me, you know, because I want to know that I had some kind of power in that situation. And it's so our job hero ends up being just basically like, you know, helping our clients understand how that's, you know, one manipulation, but also like, you know, culturally and as human beings, period, this is just, you know, what we want and how you can get power in a way that's more appropriate and more realistic rather than taking on um, the blame for something that is absolutely 100% not your fault. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it makes sense because then the rest of the community, like you said, and, you know, uh, Anjali, they're saying the exact same thing. Like, why didn't you leave? What were you doing? You explain yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's because they're feeling that same anxiety about this shouldn't have happened and they have no idea how to deal with it. So they just end up wanting control. Like if you left, look, this wouldn't have happened. And it's right. sad and true. And I think that's the important thing is that our community t tends to, in their own self-protection mechanism, start asking questions because they think they can somehow control the situation and prevent it from happening. If only we do X, Y, Z, then it won't happen. Mm -hmm. But I have another question to ask you because I think, you know, I kind of made the statement, but does do all of our clients have the honeymoon stage? No, that's a good, that's a great point, Aparna. No, all, in a lot of South Asian cult, well, not just South Asian cultures, in a lot of cultures, you won't see, um, no, you won't see a honeymoon phase. And you'll only see tension building and abuse mm -hmm. So phase. the seemingly <coughs> okay, everything is normal phase, and then the abuse again. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so that does not, so now what happens is the client is um, the person, I'm calling a client, the victim constantly lives in fear of their life and they're feeling and they're feeling scared they're feeling confused they're feeling out of focus and it's easier it's much easier to manipulate somebody and control somebody when they're mm -hmm. when they're always being constantly being um, abused and in fear of their life they're in fight or flight mode as we talked about in one or freeze a lot or of freeze. times a lot of the people that we work with are in complete freeze and really quickly just so our listeners know where both of you are coming from Ganitha and Hirol what do you do at Raksha and what types of clients do you work with oh. well um, should we synchronize I this no <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm Dr. Hiro Patel and I'm a therapist at Raksha and I work with clients who are being who are victims of domestic violence and sexual violence and immigrants. Uh, I'm Ganita Singh. I'm a social worker. I'm a clinical director here at Raksha and uh, I also work with survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault, other violent crimes, uh, people who are seeking asylum and all immigrants. I work with abusers at my other job. So I also work at the Highland Institute and there I work with abusers, which has helped me really kind of get a much better understanding of this whole cycle and also given me an understanding of how violence really does breed more violence. Um, you know, a lot of my clients at Highland as well have been, you know, either in domestic violence situations themselves or um, sexually abuse themselves and they end up acting out in those similar ways with other people in their lives mm -hmm. and no that doesn't happen every single time but there is research saying that most people who do engage in abusive behavior have also been through a lot of abuse themselves and so 
Um, I think like that's what we're also constantly trying to, you know, talk to our clients about like with, you know, whether or not staying in a relationship like that, how do, how is that going to impact them and their children? Because a lot of our clients worry about, but what about my children? They need a two parent household and all of that stuff. So it's, you know, it's basically a lot of education and a lot of like helping them you know, giving them information so they can make a much more informed decision about, you know, what's going to be best for them and their family. And, you know, where they're not just working off of a little bit of, um, you know, information based off of emotion and culture alone, but also like realistically, what can you expect? So you were talking about how like a lot of the abusers have been victims of domestic violence and um, or sexual violence, and they do have history of <clears throat> abuse in their in their past but that not to use that as an excuse yeah yeah and i know gunita mm -hmm. that's not what you meant either um but at raksha none of us believe that that's an excuse mm -hmm. to use i mean use yeah. violence to just um, violence to justify oh, yeah. what what's happened to you so mm -hmm. for sure like you know even when we're working in highland it's not about oh you were abused therefore you are no longer accountable but it's more about yes, you were abused and let's get you out of that cycle so that you can be in a different cycle that's much healthier so that you're not ending up trying to gain control of your life by being abusive to other people because you are able to think for yourself now. No, you weren't able to think for yourself and you weren't able to control your situation when you were a child, but you are now an adult and completely capable of making better decisions, so let's start doing that. Yes, and you have to yeah. be accountable for your actions. You have to take responsibility for that. So oh, you can get appropriate help that you need, mm -hmm. but that does not mean that your behavior, violent behavior, is excused absolutely. or justified. Yeah. Absolutely. Those are great points. One of the things that they talked about was about children, right? And, uh, you know, about staying in the... You mentioned this, Gunita, about how many people want to stay in the relationship because of their children. I think both of you said that. Mm -hmm. And that's a big concern. But what's the impact on children of staying in a violent relationship? Because I believe even in one of the videos, um, you, you hear the child saying, stop hitting mommy. And the child even says, I'm scared of daddy. I believe something like that. Yeah. So... What is the impact of children witnessing violence? Because I know there's a whole gamut in what people think, or that they're too young to remember is something we often hear, but what is the real impact of children witnessing violence? I mean, in reality, in my experience, like when you go through abuse as a child where you're either witnessing abuse or being abused yourself, you become a lot more alert, a lot more quicker in life. and. I'm not sure if there's any specific research around that, but I know just working with my clients that, you know, when there has been abuse in their lives, they remember things from, uh, you know, much earlier in life than a lot of other people that I know of. Or there's this other phenomena where they completely cannot remember any part of their life at all. So, it's, you know, it just goes from like one extreme to the other based on like whether they're hyper vigilant or absolutely frozen in a state of like complete panic. And so... Um, like, can you define hypervigilant? Just where you're, you know, hyper alert and hyper aware of your environment, that everything's happening and, you know, hyper aware of how a person is reacting, recognizing all their different body, um, you know, signals, because that basically plays into whether or not you're going to be safe. Like if I know any minor changes that happen in my environment, then I can escape 
and you know children a lot of times are only able to basically escape and if not then they go into freeze which is very very common and very helpful so i'm not going to be you know anti-freeze but like um freeze so freeze is basically where you just cannot function like so it's a very natural response where your body just completely shuts down in order to preserve any energy that you might need to escape later on if there is at all a possibility of doing so and it basically is is a very uh self-preservative kind of state that you get into so it's kind of like you know when a a, a a lion is running after a gazelle, a gazelle might completely freeze and fall to the ground and act as if it's dead. And it's most likely because in nature, predators do not attack something that is already dead. Mm. So that works for us in abusive situations as human beings as well because most abusers will not continue to hit someone who has fallen to the ground. So it's a very, very self-protective kind of response that's automatic Mm. that we don't actually have control over. But as far as children, like, at least in my experience, what I've noticed is that they they either end up being abusive to other people in their life or they end up continuing to be in this cycle of abuse where they're picking partners that are continuing to abuse them. And so it's just, it really just depends from, you know, situation to situation in my experience. Yes. Um, to add to your previous point, like freeze, like you were saying that it, it, it acts as a self-preservation, but it, it's also like to numb your feelings out so you don't fall apart, so you can go around doing your everyday functioning, which is is focusing on taking care of your child or focusing on finding a job job, focusing on just getting the everyday things done because if you are processing all the stuff that's happening to you all the abuse that's happening to you that's not going to fun you're not going to function in your everyday activity you're probably going to be won't be able to get out of bed Mm -hmm. or either you're just gonna you know fall apart running around crazy and end up in end up hospitalized somewhere mm-hmm. so the numbing uh, the freeze kind of acts as like a protective. protective factor it's like where you numb yourself out from feeling anything so you can go about doing what you need to do and live um like you were saying earlier mm-hmm. that might explain why people may not leave too right? absolutely mm-hmm. definitely it, it does um just and also the another reason they don't leave is because there's been research that talks about when uh, after the abuse has happened and when a uh, honeymoon period happens um where the uh, perpetrator acts uh, somewhat sorry or somewhat guilty the um, the bonding happens between uh, the perpetrator and the victim the uh, chemical called oxytocin is usually being released and that which is usually released with mom and a child during childbirth and during breastfeeding and that yeah and that uh, that chemical is released when the bonding happens between the perpetrator and the victim so that's why you will see the attachment is so strong is because of that phase has happened it's also like constantly seeking that reward of like but there is that pleasure that happens at the end of it right like a very like um, behavioral thing that happens where we're almost trained to expect yes this bad thing is going to happen but then there's this good thing that happens at the end of it and mm-hmm. so we get almost like addicted to wanting that and not like in a 
oh my god that's what the clients are seeking out she wants it or anything yeah like not like that not like that but yeah. Right, yeah not that but we're, we as human beings want connection so bad that we forget all the bad stuff that has happened prior to getting that connection exactly and oxytocin acts like that right. oxytocin makes you f- uh, forget the pain of the childbirth and that's right. what it does so that's why the victim usually forgets like how painful it was the last time because when the bonding happens Mm -hmm. and also the perpetrator acting guilty and acting um acting like uh, they love and they care about the victim make gives um the victim hope it gives him hope that you know Mm -hmm. what the future is going to be brighter the future is going to be better he can change Mm -hmm. he did apologize he did apologize yes I have a question for Anjali, who is a case manager on staff with us. Anjali, you have children in this community here in the metropolitan Atlanta area, and I know that you've been paying a lot of attention to this case. What is your experience with what you've seen in the way that the community is reacting to this, and what messages do you think need to be out there? I think it's important as a parent to start a discussion with your children, especially when this particular incident is getting so much uh, media attention these days. Um, And I know I want to do that with my own kids. Uh, This is a great start because I think um, it's sometimes when an incident like this happens, we talk about it for a few days and then it sort of fades off. And then we don't talk about it for a while and until a next incident happens, right? So I think we need to break that cycle. I need to be. I think we need to keep this conversation going. So uh, maybe as an organization, I'm not sure if we can, like maybe in our next chai house or you know whenever we do our next group with our community, we can actually use this incident, the recent incident, because people somehow will talk about it, and we need to catch their attention while they're talking about it, and then talk to them about and. You know, maybe just ask the community, you know, how they feel about it. Because I think the dialogue needs to happen. The conversations need to happen. It needs to happen in the house, in everybody's house, whether there are children involved or not. Um, But especially if there are children involved, uh, it needs to happen, like, in our temples. needs to happen at places of worship. Um, It needs to happen in our offices, you know. Um, so I think it's important and I, I think children always will see and hear what you do and it's important for even like for me I think it's important for my children because they know you know what I do at Raksha but it's also important for them to understand why what abuse is and what it can do to people yeah yeah can I add to that <coughs> yes I mean I think that's great and um, it depends if a child is asking like hey you know what mom i saw this about domestic violence what is domestic violence Mm -hmm. and that's when you interject and ask them like what do you think it is and then go from there because sometimes they may not you may not want to overwhelm them with too much information about abuse because they may not be ready so you always want to start with asking them where they are at where are they with their understanding of what's been happening and i'm that's exactly what you were talking about as well and then go from there and it is very critical that you do not overwhelm children with um, information that may not, they may not be ready for. That said, what messages do you think children or the general community in general needs to have and needs to hear? 
I think they need to hear, I think, like, going along with what Harold said, like, starting at where they are and what information they have, and then depending on their age, giving them appropriate information based off of that. So I don't think it's a good idea to act as if it does not exist, even mm-hmm. with young people. Um, because I think more than anything else, more than protecting them, it makes them feel crazy because they're hearing all of this stuff and then the adults in their life who are supposed to have this information are saying, no, that didn't happen, you know? And so, like, it's like trying to put a, a blanket over something that can't be unseen. And um, so I think it really just depends on where are, you know, where the people are that you're talking to and then giving them information based off of really their age group. I mean, of course, if it's an adult, you can have a much deeper conversation about what that means and all of that stuff. But even then, like, we do have to be mindful of who we're talking to because, you know, like if you have, you know, people who are being abused in the same room as just general community, like they might get triggered by all the, you know, stuff that's being said in the community about abuse and all of that stuff. So that's not to say don't bring it up. It's just to say like just being mindful of what might come up. So one thing that we do at Raksha is also like, uh, you know, make people aware of if there is something that's uncomfortable for you, please leave the room. You know, and take care of yourself in the best way possible. And we make ourselves available afterwards to talk to the community members about, hey, what happened? How can we support you and all of that stuff? So that, you know, like having those conversations, Anjali, like you said, is extremely important. And I agree 100% with Hero about, you know, starting where the child is and really basing the information off of like, you know, like this is what is appropriate right now. And we can talk about it more as you get older, but, you know, this information that you have is really scary and it makes sense that, you know, it would be something that you want to talk about. So you normalizing their curiosity about difficult things that happen in the world, you know. Yes, and I absolutely want to emphasize that it is important because, like, if they've seen it and they know about it and they're coming to ask you about it, that means you do need to talk about right. it. Mm-hmm. That means they are they are ready to have a conversation about it. And I guess it is up to the mm-hmm. up to the parent to decide, mm-hmm. you know, what, how much information yeah. it needs to be given. But mm-hmm. it is critical like Gunita was saying and like Anjali was saying that not to ignore it because it is happening outside they will hear about it and if you don't talk about it they will find out information from inappropriate sources Mm -hmm. and inaccurate information about what it is absolutely and I think one thing to also keep in mind as parents is that you don't you you don't always know what exactly to say and I think it is completely okay to say to your child you know I'm not sure about how to talk about this at this moment how about I get some time to think about it and we come back to this at a later time it is okay to tell your child that you don't have all the information in fact it's actually quite beneficial to let your child know that you are just another human being you know and it's your child is not going to freak out about it they're gonna you know they're gonna know that you're gonna talk to them later on and i think that that you know is another way to also connect with your child on a deeper level I know that we've all been hearing and seeing a lot of reactions on social media platforms for this. Um, We're here right now with Anjali, Aparna, Gunita, and Hiral. They're all staff members. I'm Mangala. I'm also a staff member. Um, (laughs) What are some of the reactions that you've been seeing on social media? And I'm going to direct this specifically to Aparna because I think that she's seen a lot of it because of her connections with our community. And what sort of messaging do you want out there to either emphasize what community members have been saying or to counteract some of it? 
I think some of the important things we need to remember is, number one, that we're not blaming the victim and that we're not second-guessing the choices and decisions that she's made, um, that we honor her journey. Like, mm-hmm. she she was living with this violence for 10 years, and she made the choices that were best for her, um, and her child. And her child. And, and I think those are important things that we need to kind of hold and honor. I feel like a lot of people, while they're outraged, I'm really glad that people are talking about it and that they are sharing it because they can experience what, just a small piece of what the survivor was experiencing. I think the important thing is to also keep these conversations going, but making sure that we're not like coming back and making a lot of judgments. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've seen judgments about, somebody said they were mad because she didn't leave and how educated she was. And it doesn't (laughs) matter. Yeah, Yeah. and so I think that's the hard part of like, how do we honor? Number one, we complain that people don't come forward and talk about this. And here she's had the courage to come out and share with us what she's gone through, go to media, tape record it and really give us an insight of what survivors face because most people don't understand this and I think one of the things the community really doesn't think it's a problem mm-hmm. they don't think it happens in educated families there's this or whole rich pro- or rich families right um, and so the reality is it happens in all of our communities people need to own that but people need to find ways that they can support individuals without judging and without having to be the expert I think we all want to be an expert. It makes us feel really good, but is that really helping the person in front of us who's really struggling to figure out a path for their safety? And I think those are important things to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. I would. Can I say something? Also, that she was like extremely brave for what she did. Awesome. Yeah, extremely. Absolutely. Yeah. What's coming up for me also is like maybe asking the community to sit with the feelings that they're having about it. The feelings of like feeling stuck themselves or feeling you know, really afraid that this could really happen to anyone at all because those are things that we don't like to feel and those are things that we don't like to think and yet that's exactly what it is. So just kind of sitting with your own feelings and also like finding a safe space to process your own feelings that are coming up about this story. You know, thankfully here at Raksha, we can talk to each other and process this amongst ourselves Mm -hmm. but also like, you know, finding a group of people for yourself that are not going to be judging you know the person who's been abused or you for having any feelings that you're having but finding a safe space where you can just have a conversation about it i think the other thing is to think about how you would talk to a friend if they were in that situation really get the skills and tools to be able to have those conversations how would you talk to a friend who is using violence because from my understanding, the neighbors had seen oh, a postman is the one who called the police the first time in this mm-hmm. situation, right? Mm-hmm. So if you saw your friend talking down to his wife, isolating her, not letting her go out, or telling her that she doesn't need to work, how would you intervene? Or how would you provide support? Or how would you have that conversation <coughs> with your friend about his behavior? You would slide them Raksha number. <laughs> <laughs> But I think community has a big role in being able to also shift and say, this is not cool. I know you can be a better father. Yeah, but, you know, these are some some of of these situations are extremely sensitive and there may be immigration (coughs) issues involved. There may be other children involved. So, like, calling the, I mean, if the person's life is in danger, no doubt, call the cops. Um, But it's, 
community members intervening in a situation that they may not have a lot of knowledge about mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it could get tricky mm-hmm. it could it could make the matters worse mm-hmm. or it could um, there is a possibility that matters will be like better it will right. work out in a, b- a better way and we hope that that's what would happen but we've seen with a lot of our clients when the community members haven't been right. involved it's gotten worse and the matters have become even more like destructive than even like other people can intervene. That's true, but I've also heard situations where community members have gotten involved and it's been useful. So I think it's it's good to get training number one before you intervene. That's why, <laughs> that's why right. trains community members. Yes, it's, it's good to get training on how to intervene in a safe way and to assess the situation. <laughs> but it's also good for community leaders and faith leaders to say that violence is not acceptable, right? And that we're here to support you if you're being challenged by that. Like, come to us, and of course we would get appropriate referrals, but find the right referrals to support somebody. But, like, it, are there ways that we can send a message that violence is not acceptable and that we, I mean, we promote nonviolence all the time, but how much are we really doing to give folks tools to be nonviolent in their homes? So can I say something that comes up for me around that is also just, um, you know, like we're wanting, you know, like you said, I think like we're wanting people to speak up, but then they're not speaking up or when they do speak up, they're getting so much like, you know, backlash for why didn't she leave and all of that stuff. And I, and I may get like a lot of backlash for this, but I feel like a lot of the abusers get the exact same experience. You know, anytime that they are willing to talk about it, they're afraid that there's going to be backlash about how dare you do this. And this is not okay. And a lot of shaming, which is what we do as, you know, mm-hmm. human beings. We start shaming people when they are acting in ways that are not acceptable instead of also giving them the space and saying, all right, well, that is not acceptable. We are going to hold you accountable and you can get help, you know? And I think that piece is the one that's always missing. It's more, and I'm not saying that they cannot be held accountable. They absolutely do need to be held accountable, but in a compassionate way. I love that. That's always one of my favorite things. <laughs> like, I mean, and that's what I meant when you intervene. Can you intervene in a way that's not shaming and in a way right. to say, hey, what's going on? You know, and, and showing that that person is still a value because I think part of what happens is the more we isolate somebody, the more they're going to get angry Absolutely. and the more they're going to take it out because they feel like a lot of their power is taken away. So how can we give them the power and the choice to help themselves right and that's something at the end of the day we've got to give our community tools for both abusers to be better um and to learn to not use violence Mm -hmm. um, and then giving our community members tools to intervene in a way that supports survivor safety Mm -hmm. um and children's safety at at the utmost and i think like speaking of safety safety always needs to be the first consideration even before you decide to intervene in a situation and i think talking to the survivor first and foremost about are you okay with me doing this Mm -hmm. you know and really getting the survivor's consent to speak to their abuser right Mm -hmm. yeah and respecting if they say no yeah (laughs) because knowing the boundaries is important i think because sometimes our clients are not ready to talk Mm -hmm. you know yeah and the reality is when they leave is the most dangerous time Mm -hmm. in the relationship it's when the abuser knows that they no longer have power over that individual and they're going to do whatever it takes to regain that power so knowing that leaving is not always the answer and it could also be a very dangerous situation which is why we have to Mm -hmm. continue to listen to survivors Mm -hmm. 
Thank you very much to the four of you for this wonderful conversation. Is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with, specifically therapists? I would just say be kind to yourself because this is this is really difficult stuff. It's hard to, you know, sit there and hear what happened. It's hard to talk about it. And so just, you know, making sure that you're checking in with your with your body and making sure that you're paying attention to any kind of anxiety that's coming up and really starting with being kind to you because then you're going to be a lot more kinder to everyone else that you're either speaking to or that, you know, you're talking about in this situation. Thank you so much, Gunita, and thanks to all of our listeners and all of our participants. Don't forget to tune in again next time to Raksha Radio.